Hello and welcome along to the Southampton Audio Programme for today's fixture against Blackburn Rovers. In today's issue, we have a word from your manager, a look over the Southampton women's team, and of course, your feature interview. Dear Saints fans, welcome back to St Mary's as we return home for today's Skybet Championship game against Blackburn Rovers. I would like to begin by welcoming John Dahl Thomason, his Blackburn players and staff, and the travelling supporters who have made the long journey south to be here for what I expect to be an exciting contest between two good teams. It's always nice to be back at St Mary's after a lot of time spent on the road, and this has been a tough week for us with two away games back-to-back against sides in decent form. For us to come through that with our unbeaten run still intact is credit to the players who are working incredibly hard through this relentless fixture schedule. We are frustrated with two draws at Watford and Coventry, two games I felt we played well enough to win. Taking six or even four points from those matches would obviously strengthen our position in the table, but there's still an awful lot of football to be played. We're not even halfway through the season yet. We were devastated to concede so late at Vicarage Road. Watford caused us some problems in the first half, but I was really pleased with the way we played in the second period, carrying a threat on the counter-attack and scoring a brilliant goal to take the lead. Of course, when you don't score the second goal, you need to keep a clean sheet, which we were so close to doing, but we conceded a poor goal right at the end to leave us feeling frustrated to only draw the game. At Coventry on Wednesday night, I thought we made some big improvements from the Watford performance. We had much more control and also looked a real threat in the game, only to fall behind early in the second half. We've made a good habit of scoring the first goal in matches, so this was a different test for us, but I loved the reaction to it. The substitutions that we made, bringing on Ryan Fraser and Sam Adozi, made a big impact, combining for the equalising goal, and the response of the team as a whole was great. We never went under and showed amazing courage to keep playing our way against a team with a lead to protect who had incredible energy to press us for the 90 minutes, with a lively home crowd behind them. We didn't just want a point, and I thought we looked the more likely to go on to win the game, but we weren't able to find that second goal despite coming close on a number of occasions. To have 30,000 Saints fans up there on Wednesday night, many of whom would have made the journey to Watford as well, was an incredible sight. I said it to the players after the game, don't underestimate that support we received at the end. That energy between the team and the fans has come a long way in a short space of time, which really can't be understated. The players should be proud of how they've built that relationship this season, and the supporters should be proud of the way they've stuck it with their team through some really tough moments. I'm sure there will be ups and downs along the way, but I hope you're enjoying watching your team play and feeling proud of the effort they are putting in. Fighting for the shirt for every minute of every game. We march on. Derby Day Delight sees Saints progress. Mary and Spacey Kale's side booked their place in the fourth round of the Adobe Women's FA Cup after beating a resilient Portsmouth women 2-1 at Wesley Park. Pompey had the first chance of the game in the 10th minute, ex-Saints player Beth Lumsden slamming a shot across the turf just off target. Lexi Lloyd-Smith then had the first opportunity up the other end. Rihanna Dean did well to win the ball back on the edge of Saints' own box, feeding Ella Morris on the wing from where the England Youth International sent a well-placed ball across the Pompey defence, although Lloyd-Smith headed just wide. Another wonderfully placed ball caused Pompey issues in the defence. As before, Lloyd-Smith slipped a ball through to Morris on the right wing, who drove down the line and crossed again. This time, aware of Saints' shirt lurking at the back post, a Pompey defender attempted to head clear, but instead sent the ball spinning into her own net in the 16th minute. Lloyd Smith herself had a real opportunity in front of goal, as Reva Castley's misplaced header dropped to the number 7 on the touchline. 
She cut inside and shot despite having options in the middle, and Hannah Houghton in the Pompey goal did well to smother at close range. Immediately down the other end, Pompey made their chance count to put things level in the 36th minute. A free kick was whipped in by Nicole Barrett, and Emma Jones rose high to nod past an on-rushing Howard in the Saints goal. Saints survived on an early scare in the opening five minutes of the second half with a free kick in a similar place to the one from which the host scored in the first half was awarded. The ball bobbled around the box before Millie Motts was finally able to clear and the score remained at 1-1. Saints were just inches from finding the goal to put them ahead shortly afterwards. Dean again on the high press picked up the ball outside the box and sent an audacious effort towards goal. Halton was beaten were it not for her crossbar, with her defence clearing away the rebound. Minutes later, Saints were denied by the woodwork again. This time, Sophia Farrow headed a ball, bobbling into the post, with Pompey once again clearing their lines. Spacey Kale made her first change of the game in the 65th minute, with Laura Rafferty, Alice Griffiths and Molly Pike taking the place of Paige Peak, Atlanta Primus and Farrow. With fresh legs on the pitch, it didn't take long for Saints to find the breakthrough, but it was the relentless Gemma Purfield who made her way up the pitch. Meeting a ball at the back post, she made no mistake and headed into the back of the net for 2-1. The game became more and more open as Pompey searched for a way back into the game. Howard, who had really grown into the game, Howard, who had really grown into the game, was having to dominate her box as the side in blue sent ball after ball her way. Faced with seven minutes of stoppage time to play, the Saints produced a professional performance to see out the game to book their place in the fourth round of the Adobe Women's FA Cup. Southampton starts have been like London buses for Joe Rebo. The man from the capital had a long wait to make his mark on Saints' promotion challenge, but the talented midfielder has seized his chance on the road and now hopes to have a big say on the second half of the season. With 20 minutes to go at Coventry on Wednesday night, shortly after Samuel Edoza's equaliser, Saints were in the ascendancy and pushing for a winner. Joe Rebo seized on a clearance. He killed the ball dead, faked to shoot, found space and sent a 20-yard curler towards the top corner, coming agonisingly close to the crowning moment in the midfielder's renaissance week. As it was, the ball sailed inches over Brad Collins' crossbar and Saints would have to settle for a second successive 1-1 draw on the road. But it was a passage of play that highlighted the extra sharpness and confidence in a man suddenly playing with a spring in his step. For the majority of the season so far, the Nigerian international has been subjected to a watching brief. 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there. His only start in any competition before last weekend came against Ipswich back in September, in the middle of Saints' four-game losing streak. Aribo lasted 56 minutes before he was replaced. But it was the last time Saints played at St Mary's against Cardiff that he really came into the fore. With his side soon then up and cruising, manager Russell Martin introduced Aribo for a half-hour cameo, his longest sub-appearance in the league this season. I've not played many minutes, so coming on in that game was just to show what you can do, he reflects. I felt like it was one of the longest I've played this season, especially coming off the bench. The manager always says players that come off the bench have to make an impact, otherwise why are you coming off the bench? For me it was just like, what do I have to lose here? Go and express yourself. In a game that was already under control, Rebo arrived with an injection of urgency, determined to add a third and fourth goal to Saints' dominant display. There is a new look about the laid-back Londoner these days. Gone are the shoulder-length dreadlocks of the summer, replaced by a streamlined, statesman-like appearance, and against the Bluebirds, he meant business. 
Uribo slammed a shot against the post, slalomed between defenders, and combined effectively with fellow substitute Ryan Fraser down the Saints' left, who might have helped himself to a hat-trick in the closing stages. His reward, the following Saturday, was a return to the starting lineup. The Cardiff cameo had not gone unnoticed by his manager, and Uribo was back in. It's been a long time for me, so it was a really nice feeling to be back out there, he says. I just couldn't wait to go, to go put the work in for the team. I was thinking about it the other day. I can't remember the last time I played a 90. The answer? January's FA Cup win over Blackpool. While his last 90 minutes in the league action came way back under Ralph Hasenhutl last year, the manager who signed him as a striker. Playing as a number 8 in Martin's 4-3-3 system, his preferred position, Saints as number 7 not only played the full game against Watford, but backed it up with another 90 minutes at Coventry four days later. Testament to the unseen work he's put in behind the scenes to be in a position to take this opportunity when called upon. His manager was gushing in his post-match praise at Vicarage Road. I thought Joe Rebo was fantastic, Martin said, pausing to puff out his cheeks. I'm incredibly proud of him for that performance from where he's come from, not playing as many minutes. He's got himself in brilliant shape. He's worked so hard. He's found a little bit of ribbon recently with his training. He's come off the bench recently and done really well. He deserved to play today. Of course, anyone that cares is going to affect them, Maribo says of his previously reduced game time. But there's two ways of going about it. There's a way of just being negative and thinking, I'm not going to put in the extra work or the extras, or you can be positive and say, your time is going to come. When it comes, be ready. Ultimately, that's what it is. When your time comes and you're not just ready, then you've just wasted time. For me, it's just being positive and someone that's going to be there for my teammates as well, because I think that's important. We all have to push each other, so if I'm not doing my best, then I'm not helping out my teammates either. So I just need to give it 100% at all times, and that's what I'm going to do. Such is Aribo's relaxed manner off the pitch and unflustered style on it. Outsiders may wonder how brightly the fire burns inside, but it's clear he's been desperate to play more and left no stone unturned. I'd speak to him about certain things, he says of the manager. I wanted to play. I felt like I could play, but it was just about waiting for my chance. Through that period, he saw his role as Staplewood, standard setter and a positive influence on his teammates. There's a different dynamic in the squad this season, he senses, having lived through the troubled times of last season, relegation last year. This season, the boys are in a good place, he observes. Momentum's important. We're on a run when we've not lost a game, so I think that's important for the morale and everything around the building. I just feel like at times last season, so much was going on, but this season, the boys are focused. We know what job we have to do, and we're just trying to keep making it happen. The kind of person I am... I always have a good vibe in the dressing room. Even though we were losing, I had a lot of friends in the team last season. This season, I definitely feel there's more of a togetherness. Everybody speaks to each other. Everyone banters. Everyone makes jokes around the building. Everyone seems very close together. And with that momentum, that's going to happen. It's so important to a team because everyone has to fight for each other on a match day, ultimately. Everyone in this team is a very good player, so I feel if everyone is giving their best in training, it makes the match day easier because we're playing against the level of players that we're going to come up against on the weekend. Training is so important for what comes out on a Saturday. If you're bang on it in training, it makes the match day even easier, honestly. 
Aribo's appetite to train hard has surely helped him get up to speed at an impressive rate, and the impact of substitutes, Fraser and Adozi at Coventry further, underscored that Martin needs his whole squad to adopt the same approach, particularly on the eve of the relentless festive schedule. While Saints have become accustomed to playing once a week in recent times, Aribo's EFL experience from his three years in the first team at Charlton and even more personally, playing 50-plus game of seasons north of the border with Rangers, where he consistently fought on multiple fronts, already has his body fine-tuned to the rigours of the championship. Saints' 13-match unbeaten run is sure to come under pressure over the coming weeks, but not only is Aribo fine-tuned to playing, he's fine-tuned to winning too, and still carries the mindset that draws are like defeats. With the gap to the top two, now 12 points, there is little margin for error in the race for automatic promotion. That's the thing. There's so many games and they come thick and fast. Everyone's going to be needed and everyone has to be ready, he says. For me, it's so important to have that experience and I've had it in Glasgow, but it's so important because you know how to maintain your body and what to do in certain situations. If we lost up there, it was the end of the world or even Drew. It felt like the end of the world. You didn't want to do anything. So for me, I've had that experience and I know how important it is to win. Dropping points is so bitter. Such a bad feeling for me. So I just want to win every game that I can play in. Does that turn you into a perfectionist? Yeah, literally. Or a monster. Martin will hope he's unleashed a monster in a rebo that can help Saints bridge the gap. And finally, time for the local lowdown. We asked opposition expert Elliot Jackson, Blackburn Rovers reporter for the Lancashire Telegraph, to preview today's game from the visitors' point of view. Blackburn looked on course to make the championship playoffs last season, only to lose form at the worst possible time. What was the team's success built on, and why did the promotion push come up short in the end? Ultimately, it came down to a lack of goals. They missed out only on goal difference, and not having a number nine cost them. The team drastically improved after the turn of the year, having picked up a lot of points before Christmas without necessarily playing well. They showed their best form in February and March before injuries and a lack of firepower eventually caught up with them. How would you describe Rovers' performances this season and the current expectations at Ewood Park? Performances have deserved far more than they've received. Thomason has been very happy with the displays and there have been countless games where the team hasn't got what they deserved. They're struggling with a lot of injuries to key first-team players, which has stretched the, what is already a very young squad. There are no real expectations on Thomason other than to continue playing attractive football and develop the young players in the squad. Blackburn haven't drawn a game in more than four months, a sequence spanning 22 games in all competitions. Is that purely a coincidence, or is it a consequence of the team's style of play? It's definitely not a coincidence. They went 27 league games last season before eventually drawing at Bristol City in January. They are a very gung-ho team and that makes for very entertaining games. They always go for the win and that means they win a lot of games and lose plenty too. How would you describe the team's approach under Jean Dal Thomason and how highly rated is the manager among Rovers fans? Thomason is very highly thought of by the fans. The supporters have really enjoyed his exciting brand of football and he doesn't try to kid them. There is an acceptance that he's working with his hands tied behind his back but still has the team competing. The approach is to go and win and see what happens. I'd expect they will try and beat Southampton by pressing high and hurting them on the counter-attack. The away form has been impressive this season, and so they'll be hopeful of another positive result on the road. How have performances been recently, and which players should Saints watch out for? 
Performances have been good, as I say. Sammy Schmodix is the obvious danger man, having scored 14 league goals, making him the top scorer in the league. Adam Wharton is the wonder kid in midfield. The England youth international has just signed a new five-year deal and looks destined to reach the top. And finally, how do you see the game going today? I'm interested to see how Rovers approach it. They don't usually sit in a low block, but did so against Russell Martin Swansea earlier last season and end up winning 3-0. Usually, they'd get after the opposition and press them high. I'll go for a 2-1 Saints win. They'll have the talent advantage, and whilst it will probably be an even game between both boxers, they will have the players capable of being clinical in the final third.